This podcast is sponsored by the Cherokee County School District in Canton, Georgia, and produced by children and adults with ADHD, Chad. Welcome to ADHD 365. I'm your host, Susan Booning, and I'm here today with Dr. Carrie Heller to talk about emotion regulation in children and adolescents who have ADHD. Good morning, Carrie. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, absolutely. Good morning. It's great to be here. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm Carrie Huller. I'm a clinical psychologist in private practice in Bethesda, Maryland. I specialize in the evaluation and treatment of ADHD and related executive function issues. I'm also um, chapter coordinator for the Montgomery County chapter of CHAD and one of the co-chairs of the editorial advisory board for Attention Magazine. Carrie, why do children with ADHD have difficulties with emotion regulation? It's a good question. So if you think about ADHD, one of the core deficits with ADHD is the idea of self-regulation. So probably thinking about attention is the most common thing people think about with ADHD. So the idea is someone, a child or anyone with ADHD has a hard time with regulating their attention. Same thing with hyperactivity. So excessive movement, again, it goes to self-regulation. So similarly, if you think about emotions, the same idea is children with ADHD often have trouble controlling their emotions because it gets at the same core deficit of trouble with self-regulation. So there's the aspect of the self-regulation piece with emotions, you know, it's kind of add, add to issues. Sometimes, you know, people are, with ADHD can get overwhelmed easily. So may, that makes it hard to control emotions. Or also there are some situations where if you think about it, if someone's not paying full attention to what's going on around them, they may like make these assumptions without of what's going on in a situation without actually looking at all the available information. So they may make these erroneous conclusions and then as a result become emotionally charged or dysregulated when there's really not necessarily even a reason to be based on the circumstances. Is there a growing recognition that children and teenagers with ADHD tend to struggle with this emotion regulation? Yeah, I, I do think there's definitely a growing recognition because it's not something that's really focused on directly that, that much in the actual criteria for ADHD, but it is something that, like, so for example, I think about Thomas Brown's book, Smart But Stuck, which focuses on emotions and teens and adults with ADHD. I think that's one good example of this, 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 this trend. Another example is the brief two, which is a measure of executive function skills, which really underlie ADHD. They actually, when they redid the, the, the brief questionnaire in the last couple of years, they, they created a um, or, or separate emotion regulation index. And so with that, it looks at the ability to shift attention as well as emotional control. And so what that illustrates is that the emotional control is really vital to ADHD and executive functioning. And so I think those two things in itself really illustrate the fact that there is this growing recognition. How can a parent recognize triggers that could be increasing the dysregulation, for example, medication rebound effect, or when medication is wearing off or any other triggers? My suggestion would be in general, keep a log of what's going on. So if you notice, like if your child or teen suddenly starts reacting very strongly, note the day of time, what was going on right before it, because you can pull this information in a nice organized fashion and then figure out, are there consistencies? So if it's occurring, whenever the medication is still kicking in or wearing off, that obviously is really useful information to know. Is it that anytime they're being told, oh, you, you have to sit down and do your homework, that that's when it occurs. So looking at the triggers can be really helpful in figuring out when the dysregulation is occurring, and in turn also can then be used to help with, with ways of addressing it to, make, to reduce the dysregulation. How can parents recognize that there may be something more than the standard emotion regulation difficulties in ADHD? 
for example, indicating the presence of a coexisting condition such as oppositional defiant disorder, emotional disturbance? How can parents know when there's something more? It's good for parents to, to look for a couple of things that I'll mention. But in general, this is probably something that may be better left to professionals to ultimately determine. But the things that you can look at to help decide, you know, should you reach out to a professional about the emotion dysregulation issues would be looking at the frequency of them occurring, the severity, specific triggers, and the consistency. So if a child is always reacting to, let's say, when the medication wears off, or when, let's say, I don't know, working on homework and it's especially tough, you know, that you know, it's sort of a very identical tr trigger. But if there's, if it's just completely random, you can't pinpoint it, or you get very different reactions to the exact same situation, that, you know, can also suggest that there may be something more. I would also, I mean, the, probably the biggest thing, whether it's truly due to ADHD or something else, is think about how much of an impact does it have on daily functioning. So if you have a child and they're constantly, you know, every, you, know, you feel like you can't tell them no because they're going to react strongly. Or you feel like, you know, you worry about how they're doing at school because anytime something's tough, they sort of give up and, you know, run out of the classroom. You know, those types of things clearly, no matter what the cause, are going to have a significant impact. So you want to figure out, you know, when those are occurring, ideally figure out what is the cause and then in turn figure out the best way to address it. How can parents or caregivers help a child socially when emotion dysregulation comes into play with relationships? I often view, in terms of addre addressing the emotion regulation piece, I sort of view strategies as coming into kind of two main categories. So we have proactive strategies, which are things that you can kind of do to prevent the dysregulation from occurring in the first place. So these are often things that would be helpful for a variety of reasons. So for example, getting enough sleep, eating healthy, you know, not being really hungry when you're going to social interactions. Yeah, I think about the Snickers commercial. You probably want to avoid that type of kind of being that hungry when you're going into kind of a, a, a social situation. You know, things like practicing mindfulness, you know, breathing exercises on a regular basis, getting enough physical activity. You know, these types of things in and of itself can help mitigate you know, emotion regulation trouble to some degree and obviously help address lots of other issues as well. Another kind of proactive strategy is the idea of planning ahead. So thinking about the structure. So with, with the social situations, you know, especially for younger kids, if you... If you, your child has a friend over and they say, oh, just go play, for some kids that can be fine. For other kids that can very easily lead to conflicts over what activity are we going to do or you know, someone is very competitive, gets very upset if they don't win at a game. So being able to maybe help the child ahead of time to think through you know, what are like three activities we could do and let's maybe pick one and then you know, if my friend wants to do something different, say let's do one first and we'll do the other after. But sort of having a general framework to work with for kids can be really helpful for creating these, you know, for the social relationships. Uh, I think the other thing to also to add to that would be to also think about the more that your child can do a lot structured activities with others. That's also a really good way to mitigate some of the issues and to help practice things. Because I think the more, so for example, doing some sort of structure after school activity, because it provides social connections and, you know, there's probably some informal interactions as well, but because there's more structure, there's probably less, less of a likelihood of having a, a strong emotion dysregulation from it. The other part of it is to really think of, about reactive strategies. So what do you do in the moment when something occurs? It's great to try to prevent the emotion dysregulation from occurring, but obviously there's only so much you can do. So a couple of strategies that can be really helpful for parents in social situations would be having the child being able to do a really quick deep breathing activity, whether it's taking three deep breaths in and out. I mean, something like that is good because that one can be a little bit more discreet you know, then certain other ones, you know, involve having to listen to something like mindfulness activity or using an app can be really helpful, but that obviously involves them having to either do it in front of their friend or, you know, take a break from their friend.
which, you know, in some cases for young kids may be fine for others, you know, may create some, some issues in terms of, you know, embarrassment and things like that. Um, I do think when necessary, having kind of a good exit strategy. So if a child is, has a friend over or they're at a friend's house and they feel like they're starting to react very strongly, figuring out, you know, can the child just say, oh, I need to go to the bathroom. And then maybe have whatever the activity is, you know, hidden in the bathroom that they can pull off really fast to do, you know, have headphones and listen to it, you know, on a tablet for a few minutes or have something in their pocket that they can go into a bathroom and just use in order to kind of help calm themselves down. Um, I mean, changing the focus can also be a, another strategy. I mean, for some kids, if they can, if you can give them something that suddenly changes their focus away from what's bothering them, they can shift their focus easily and then are, are fine. Other kids have a hard time. They get really stuck on, you know, what's bothering them that moment. So I think everyone's different, but figuring out if there are things that you can give your child that will suddenly change, get them to be able to refocus it. And aside from social situations, are there strategies parents can use to help increase emotion regulation in their adolescents and children? I think the idea I mentioned earlier about the proactive and reactive strategies, like you can apply the same concept in general. So like a proactive strategy, not just in relationships, but in general would be helping children to learn and identify specific emotions. Because a lot of times if someone's feeling very overwhelmed, they may not even be able to articulate in that moment because it's overwhelmed. Are they feeling angry? Are they feeling anxious? Are they mad? But if you can get your child or teen to say, I feel really angry, I feel really nervous. And then from there, so insert why, kind of have like a framework. I feel angry because I just lost at this game. Or I feel angry because I'm not good at this game. So if you can kind of get them to do that, it takes away some of the ambiguity in their mind and in itself can help them to calm down at least a, a fair amount. It's not, it may not magically make them calm, fully calm again, but it's a really good starting point because it snaps them out of this, I'm so, like, I'm so overwhelmed with emotions, I'm sh I've shut down completely. Because if you can stop the complete shutdown, it makes it easier to work through. So in addition to that, um, I, you know, I also think sometimes for kids, being able to identify the severity of a specific emotion is helpful. So, you know, something I work a lot with kids on is creating, let's say, an anchor chart, where maybe you rate it from 10 to 100. And, you know, obviously, you don't want to create the chart when you're really angry at the moment. The idea is to do this at another time. And to maybe say a 10. So maybe a 10 is I lost at a game. Maybe a 50 is my parents said I couldn't go play with my friends. Maybe a 100 is my pants split and I was very embarrassed because it happened during recess at school. That basically, because the idea then is it help, and then what you can do is have your child either, you know, use the chart visually in the moment, or just remember to rate, you know, so you can ask them, you know, how angry are you right now? So once they label the motion, have them rate how angry they are, or how anxious they are, you can do the chart with, you know, anxiety and other related things as well, because then it puts it in perspective. So for example, if someone says, oh, I'm actually at a 20 for feeling nervous about this. I mean, obviously, it's important to them, but that's very different than feeling they're at 100. And so it also kind of like labeling the emotion, creating the, labeling the severity also can help them to kind of reduce that just being so overwhelmed that they can't function and be able to put it in perspective. Other things that parents can do that can be helpful are certainly, you know, you know, praising your child when they're identifying emotions and doing what they, what they should be doing. Because for some kids, just a little bit of praise can also help them to feel better. So if a child who's had a hard time with emotion regulation is suddenly able to say, I feel really angry. Like in a nice way, say, you know, uh, you know, I'm sorry you feel the way, but I'm really glad that you're able to, to vocalize that to us. That's great. Because that in itself can also actually work well to actually shift some of the focus away from what's bothering them too. I mean, other things that are really helpful are in general, you know, modeling good emotion regulation yourselves as a parent or caregiver. 
I realize sometimes this is probably easier said than done in the moment. Because if you think about it, like let's just for a second take a think about if you're having an argument with another adult, chances are if one person starts yelling, you're more likely to get revved up and potentially yell back. And the same thing, if your child starts yelling, you may feel like, oh, I need to yell either just because you're angry or feel like that's how you get through to the child. But the idea is basically if you can stay calm and model that, your kids are more likely to follow through and, and, and do that too. I know, again, it's, it can be difficult in this situation. And so sometimes there's strategies you can use yourself. Actually, some of the same ones I've mentioned in terms of, you know, mindfulness activity, being able to recognize your own triggers and try to avoid them when you can, or have a simple strategy to use. So if you know that you're really triggered when your kids fight, maybe you say to yourself, I'm going to, in my own head, rate how angry I am about this. And then I'm going to take three deep breaths in and out in order to, to, to be calm enough to sort of manage whatever's going on with these two kids. What interventions target emotion regulation in adolescents and children with ADHD? There are a couple. So, I mean, certainly if you have a child that's participating in psychotherapy, using, you know, various kind of behavioral tools, you know, looking at kind of thoughts and sort of, you know, change, replacing certain thoughts and connecting out behaviors can be, can be helpful. Uh, being able, as part of that, there's also, you know, very, a lot of CBT tools involve various worksheets to kind of practice, or even, you know, the different charts you can use where you kind of, for kids, especially younger kids that have a hard time even thinking about emotions, you know, these little, you may see these little like sort of face charts. If you, you know, Google uh, emotion chart, there's usually a chart that pops up that shows, you know, probably at least 20 different sort of faces and different emotions. And so that can be a good starting point for kids who just don't really know how to label emotions. That's sort of one type of strategy. Other strategies can be really helpful are doing a mindfulness activity. I mean, the one thing I'll say, so for kids with ADHD, first of all, you probably do not want to try to teach them a half hour mindfulness activity because they're probably not going to stay focused for it. The idea is, first of all, each child is different. So you want to figure out what they're willing to try and, you know, go through different ones. For younger kids, sometimes using a mindfulness activity that's on an app that has a visual piece too. Like there's one called uh, meditation for kids, for example. So that is great because, you know, they show pictures, let's say of a forest or, you know, various animals. And then there's the, the, the script part that's, that's going through. So you're listening, but because there's that visual piece, uh, same thing with, you know, go noodle as another example, there's some mindfulness ones on there that, that are good. And so this allows you to, or the child to be able to visualize, this is what I'm seeing, but then I'm also kind of hearing it at the same time. So it helps them to stay more engaged and be able to work towards calming down. Uh, deep breathing can be really helpful. You know, like, for example, taking three deep breaths in and out. Uh, another one is called guided visual imagery. So this one, it's a little similar to mindfulness. The difference though, is rather than focusing on kind of a direct focus on what's going on, you focus on kind of breathing, but at the same time, you're imagining yourself somewhere else. So maybe it's, you're walking through a forest and you're listening to the sounds of the, chir the birds chirping or the leaves rustling in the wind. And then maybe you walk to a beach and you hear the sounds of the waves as they're, you know, crashing against the shore, or you can, you know, that's probably a fairly standard example. I mean, you could, you know, create your own. There's a website near for example, that has all the you know, typed out scripts. So you can basically pull that and, you know, modify it to make it your own. So for example, sometimes the kids, if they really like, I don't know, an amusement park, you know, figure out like the sights and sounds and how you would describe it. And you can even record it and then they can play it themselves, you know, in the moment when they need something to calm down, to be able to take their mind off whatever's going on. Um, there are also various, you know, card and other types of games out there that you can buy online to practice emotion regulation. What resources are available for parents and caregivers that could help them to help their children and teenagers? There's 
definitely a lot of information available. So, you know, there's Thomas Brown's book that I've mentioned earlier, Smart But Suck. Chad has a you know, huge wealth of resources. There's the toolkit. There's you know, tons of articles on the website. You have Attention Magazine. You have the blog. There's lots of things in there that are really, and there's definitely a focus on part of that, you know, most motion dysregulation. There's also, you know, if you just look online, there, there's lots of, there's lots of things, you know, the idea, and also I would say consult, consult the, you know, provider that you're working with, pediatrician, because they can also direct you to figure out what resources are going to be best for your child. I think the thing that you want to keep in mind is that anything you pull, whether it's from a book or an online resource, that's sort of more of a general thing. And while they may work for lots of kids with ADHD, everyone's different. So just because a strategy or tool works for one child that's based on whatever's written in a book doesn't mean that that strategy is definitively going to work for your child based on their individual circumstances. So I think you want to take the ideas that you find online or in books, but in a lot of cases, working with someone directly who knows your child can kind of help you to tailor them to meet the individual needs of your child is really important. Carrie, is there anything else that I didn't ask you about that you'd like to tell parents and caregivers? Sure. I mean, I would say the main thing I'd like to convey is that, you know, I know it can sometimes be very frustrating when you, when you have kids that have a hard time with emotion regulation, you know, sometimes it can really impact, you know, how, you know, activities that you do with them or make you very nervous about, Oh, what happens if I take them in public and they have a meltdown. And so the idea is that I know that can definitely be very tough at the same time. I think it's important to, to do what you can to, to address these issues, not just because of how it impacts you in the moment, but obviously it impacts kids themselves tremendously and can get worse with age if you don't address it. And so, but the idea is there's a lot out there in terms of, you know, support you can get from providers, resources, things you can read on. But, you know, I think when in doubt, don't just sort of say, oh, let me just keep trying the same thing. I hope it works. Because chances are, if you keep trying the same thing over and over again, and it's not working, you're probably not going to suddenly get a different result. So the idea is, you know, there's definitely a lot of room for improvement with, with kids with these issues, as well as ADHD in general, but you have to seek out the support to do it. So that would be my final thing is just, if, if your child is not sort of managing things the way you would like them to, seek support and do what you can to make, to help them for really for themselves so that they can really function well in childhood and, you know, into adulthood with managing these things so it doesn't impact them and they can thrive in the way that they'd like to as an adult. In the same way, I'm sure you would like them to thrive as well. Thank you so much. There's certainly a lot of good advice for parents in all of this. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. This podcast is part of the Cherokee County District's Parent University Series and the CCSD CARES Initiative cultivating achievement, resiliency, and the empowerment of students. CCSD's vision is that all students will thrive today, tomorrow, and throughout life with a sense of purpose and self-worth. Thank you for listening to another episode of ADHD 365.